This week's TribCast is sponsored by SWBC is a Texas-based firm that has underwritten over $600 million of municipal bonds. We underwrite with confidence. And Lone Star College Online delivers education your way with fully online degrees and individual classes to help you achieve your goal. Find out more at lonestar.edu. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune TripCast. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Tribune. It is October 14th. The Houston Astros are in the baseball playoffs and every inning that I watch is interrupted by a uh, campaign commercial showing various items meant to signify Joe Biden's inflation being crushed by some kind of mechanical piece. This is, of course, a Greg Abbott attack ad against Beto O'Rourke, and it is the biggest sign that we are in the heat in the kind of main part of the the November elections for this year. We're going to talk about that for this week's podcast, and I am joined by two of our top political writers, including Patrick Spitek. Hey, Patrick. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. And James Bettergon. Hey, James. Hello. Hello. So, Patrick, this Biden inflation ad that seems to be everywhere for those of us who still watch real TV and not just streaming um, is, you know, the result of a, you know, big amount of spending by Governor Greg Abbott. We saw campaign finance reports uh, come out this week. And we saw that Greg Abbott spent, you know, a significantly larger amount of money in the past reporting period, $53 million compared to $32 million for Beto O'Rourke. But we also saw what seemed notable is that heading into this last phase of the campaign, in a kind of unusual situation, the Democrat in the race has slightly more money to spend, or at least did when this reporting deadline hit than the Republican opponent, uh, the number 16.47 million for Beto O'Rourke and 16.35 million for Greg Abbott. How significant is this, would you say? It's very significant. Uh, Greg Abbott is the most uh, prolific uh, political fundraiser Texas has ever seen. Um, And, you know, he entered this race uh, with a war chest that I think at one point was over $60 million. And even if, uh, you know, I think going into this race, people thought, you know, even if Beto O'Rourke was also a formidable fundraiser in his own right, um, that that cash on hand that Abbott had would be ultimately too large of a a pile of cash for for O'Rourke to overcome. Uh, But here we find ourselves with weeks to go into the election and uh, Abbott's cash on hand advantage is gone. Um, And I think it's it's just very notable. Uh, It's one thing to outraise the incumbent in a reporting period. It is a totally another thing uh, to not only outraise him, um, but to basically reach parity and cash on hand. And so it's a, a very impressive uh, feat by Beto O'Rourke. Okay, so Beto has a little bit more money, but what does that mean? How is he going to use it? What's his strategy moving forward in the home stretch here? You can bet that Beto O'Rourke is going to use this extra money um, to try to uh, expand the electorate here at the end and uh, turn out uh, voters who um, may not traditionally turn out for an election like this, a, a midterm election, um, and try to, uh, you know, reach voters and mobilize them 
um, in a way that expands the the electorate here. And so that's going to be done through advertising. That's going to be done through get out the vote efforts, door knocking, block walking. Uh, so that's going to be a big priority for him um, in these final weeks as far as his spending is concerned. Um, that's not to say Governor Abbott is also not going to, you know, is, is not going to be focused on turning out non-traditional voters as well. He has his own targets for expanding um, the voter universe as well. James, speaking of non-traditional voters, three prominent, uh, um, actually, I guess, non-Texans who have kind of come out um, backing Beto lately. Uh, we had Harry Styles at a concert in Austin making a lot of news. We had the Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, uh, pushing forward at Austin City Limits Festival. And Lin-Manuel Miranda heading to Houston to rally with Beto O'Rourke. Um, What's your reading on this? Is this uh, out of touch liberal celebrities not moving the needle or, or is, does that does that effective in any way in, in getting uh, some of those people who might not be likely to vote uh, engaged in this race? Yeah, I mean, to, cer to a certain extent, it's par for the course, right? I mean, uh, liberal uh, celebrities you know, you you can bet are going to be more aligned with Beto O'Rourke's policies than they are with Greg Abbott's. Um, but I think it does sort of play into Beto O'Rourke's attempt to get at younger um, audiences, younger voters. He's doing the college campus tour. Um, and, you know, I've been at a couple of those college campus tour events and, you know, young voters are excited for him. They, they like his policies. They like what it stands for, particularly on issues like abortion for young women voters. Um, guns also seem to be amplifying people, you know, the attack, um, uh, the, the, the shooting in, at the Uvalde Elementary School. So, you know, I don't think it's surprising, but I think it does sort of play to Beto's strengths and, and, and his strategy, which is to get some of those non-traditional voters, new voters, young voters uh, to come out for, for the election. Since we last talked about this race, you covered the one and only debate in this Um I'll be honest, it felt like a not particularly eventful debate, you know, it's felt like Abbott made his points that he wanted to on a, um, on immigration, Beto hitting on, on abortion and things like that. Did you, what was your takeaway? Did that change the dynamic of this race in any way? Well, it's hard to say, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people watching it. It was Friday Night Lights. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that maybe would have tuned in for that were at their kids uh, high school football game or watching their kid in the band um, that evening. So it's hard to say. I mean, I did think that overall at the debate, I did think if if there was a universe of undecided voters, which I think is pretty small, people know very well whether they're going to vote for Beto or Abbott. But I think if there was a universe of undecided voters, I would give the slight advantage to Beto O'Rourke. I think he made a good case for what his goal was, which was to sort of prosecute the case that Abbott has had eight years and we still have some of the same fundamental problems that we've had um, when he took office. Uh, but like you said, I mean, Governor Abbott was strong. He didn't have any major gaffes, no viral moments, which is great because he's got a five to seven point lead in the polls that we've seen recently uh, heading into uh, November. And he also had strong points on immigration and crime. I think he hit Beto O'Rourke for flip-flopping, which has been a constant issue for him, particularly on the issue of guns. Um, so I think, you know, both candidates did well. I'm not sure that it moved the needle a whole lot, but I guess if there's some undecided voters out there who saw it, I would give the slight edge to, to Beto O'Rourke, which maybe shows, you know, 
some some of the some of the interest now as we get closer to the actual election. Patrick, if I'm if I'm Abbott, maybe my strategy here is kind of try to run out the clock, right? And no major no major gaffes, no major controversies or issues between now and in early November. Yeah, Abbott needs this election to happen now <laughs> or yesterday. <laughs> so I think Abbott, um, you know, has, has reason to be cautiously optimistic here. Um, you know, I will note, you know, we were kind of in a similar, um, I don't want to say environment because we were in a different political national environment right now than we were in 2018. But in terms of comparing this, the ending of this race to the ending of Beto Works 2018 race, we're kind of in a similar moment, about a month, month and a half out from that, uh, the, that U.S. Senate election 2018, Republicans started finally feeling some relief, finally started feeling good. Their voters were coming home. The Brett Kavanaugh uh, U.S. Supreme Court battle was going on and energizing Republicans. Ted Cruz's campaign after a kind of rough stretch of Beto becoming a national star in the late summer was finally starting to feel like they were in a they were finally getting some breathing room and were, you know, getting to a point where they could, um, you know, win by several points. And what happened in those final four weeks is, is O'Rourke really closed strong. And we all know the story. He obviously, um, you know, uh, lost by only three points and outperformed the polls. And so, um, you know, this is a candidate who has closed strong before. Um, this is also a candidate, um, you know, who is, is really staring down a, a really uh, devastating loss. The third, you know, failed camp, potentially the third failed campaign um, in six years. And so he has, uh, you know, more reason than usual to leave everything on the field. And so, again, if I'm Abbott, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. I want people to vote, you know, right now and get this done with. Um, but Beto work has proven in the past, he, you know, sh shouldn't be counted out in the final weeks. Yeah, can I, I would add to that, Matthew. I, yeah. I think, um, you know, going back to the point that we were talking about earlier, where the cash on hand has evened out. I mean, that's a reason for optimism for O'Rourke because suddenly this superhuman juggernaut fundraiser, Greg Abbott, that we all know, is kind of even with him as of the last reporting cycle, right? But we also know that, you know. Governor Abbott has uh, access to tremendous amount of uh, fundraising prowess. So I, I don't imagine that that number would stay at 16.35 million or whatever. They're probably going to be able to re-up that number. And the other thing is that I think uh, Governor Abbott has talked about it. He wants it to be one, two, three strikes, you're out for Beto O'Rourke. So he has added motivation to be spending these like $30 million on, on TV advertising to really shut down Beto O'Rourke so that they can say once and for all, like he's done. He he ran his best race against me and we still took him out. So I think there's optimism for better work, but there's also the strategy that Governor Abbott has put out and the access that he has to more campaign funding. But it'll be interesting to see these next couple of weeks because, you know, as uh, Patrick said, you know, uh, Beto can close strong. So uh, I guess buckle up. Yeah, I mean, I cannot express enough how much I am seeing this Greg Abbott commercial where he, th those household items are being crushed and he's talking about inflation. Maybe it's because I mostly watch live TV for sports and, and Abbott is particularly targeting sports sporting events. But I just in living my general life and feeling the spending advantage that Abbott had over the last few months, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of what I'm seeing on, on television and all that. I mean, Patrick, you made the observation on Twitter the other day that it's not just Abbott who's who's kind of being aggressive on the airwaves right now that we're seeing that in some of the other
basis too. Uh, what, uh, what, what, what are you seeing kind of down ballot as well in, in these statewide races? Yeah, I think what's unique about this cycle is that beyond the top of the ticket statewide race, we're seeing other statewide races where there is a real back and forth on significant paid media between the Democrat and the Republican. So in the lieutenant governor's race, you have uh, the Republican incumbent, Dan Patrick, airing TV ads, attacking his opponent, Mike Collier, by name. And as of, I think, today, as we're speaking, you have the attorney general, Ken Paxton, airing TV ads, attacking his Democratic opponent, Rochelle Garza, by name. And on top of that, you have this dark money group, uh, could have been worse LLC, that has not only been running TV ads, attacking Abbott by name, but also going after um, uh, Patrick Paxton, trying to group all three of them together in attacks related to uh, abortion, related to the power grid. And so this is, you know, when you look at the TV ads um, over the past uh, few weeks, it is a really unique moment for Texas politics because usually we don't see this much give and take when it comes to TV ads between um, the Democrat and Republican candidates in some of the more lower profile statewide races. And one more thing that I would say in terms of uh, the, the the spending on ads, because Matthew, I'm I'm not as big of a baseball guy, uh, <laughs> but I am a big soccer guy. So I am watching like MLS and MLS playoffs. And even on the, and some of these games are in Spanish language television, obviously. And even in those, there's ads, like there's Greg Abbott ads. And I think it's like really um, smart political campaigning because he wants to run up the numbers with Hispanics. He runs ads in Spanish language touting, uh, you know, the negatives on Beto O'Rourke, um, his positions on border and immigration and also on crime. Um, and then now he's got the new ad of like Theo Gregg with his with his niece in it, which is really fantastic. Also, if that's your introduction to Greg Abbott, it sort of reminds us of that 2014 uh, Madrina ad, which was super successful uh, with uh, Hispanic demographics. So just like, again, like really smart campaigning from Greg Abbott. Um, the, the Beto ads, mostly the ones that I have seen that have impacted me are the Uvalde shooting ones. Um, and I haven't seen as much like in Spanish language. So again, to like the how much money they have and how Abbott's team really knows how to use that money and is trying to use it to really bury O'Rourke. Right, let's let's pause for a second and hear from our sponsors. Texas Biomed pioneers and shares scientific breakthroughs that protect our communities. Health starts with science. Health starts at Texas Biomed. Visit txbiomed.org for more. And Texas Women's University is focused on making Texas healthier, offering more than 80 health-related degree programs from nursing and physical therapy to kinesiology and nutrition science. Learn more at twu.edu health. Okay, so Patrick, you mentioned some of that more increased back and forth from the, the lower uh, ballot candidates. What, what do you make of that? Is that a sign of um, concern or, or, or is it more about running up the margins like we, we talked about with, with, with what Abbott's pushing for? Well, we know from public polling that the attorney general's race may be closer than the other statewide races. I think we've seen two or three public polls since this summer uh, or since the early summer that show that Ken Paxton has a smaller lead over his Democratic opponent than other statewide officials. And so it would make sense um, that you may see some engagement there. I think the race that is a little more interesting 
um, in kind of taking the decipher ring to it is Lieutenant Governor's race. Um, you know, you do have Dan Patrick airing this TV ad against Mike Collier's Democratic opponent, tying him to Joe Biden, which is pretty easy to do. He, uh, Mike Collier campaigned heavily for Joe Biden in Texas. This isn't exactly, um, you know, something you got to run through the fact check machine. Uh, so, you know, but I, I find that interesting. And you, there's multiple ways you could look at that. You could obviously jump to conclusions and say, Dan Patrick is worried about Mike Collier. So he's attacking him. You could also say maybe Dan Patrick is worried about Ken Paxton and he's trying to help Ken Paxton by, you know, juicing turnout um, in his race and running up the score in his race. Mm-hmm. Um what we, you know, what is interesting financially, you see from these reports, is just how much the governor's race is is just dominating the donor space, right? It's like Abbott raises twenty five million, Beto raises twenty five million, and then the next closest statewide candidate is Dan Patrick with two point three million. And so some of these, you know, uh, I think some of the other statewide officials are really having to, you know, run their own races with tighter resources than I'm sure that they would like to, because that governor's race is just. Uh, you know, dominating the donor space right now. And on the Democratic side, it's the same. There's a there's a similar dynamic, especially in the AG race where Rochelle Garza, I'm sure, could benefit from, you know, could get pretty close if she got, you know, if, if you know, like if she got, you know, more funding, you know, right now, if, if, if you ask me like better work, you know, you know, if you're someone who wants to write a million dollar check right now, I would, you know, better work doesn't need another million dollars. Not going to make a difference. Like Rochelle Garza, if she got another three, four, five million dollars, could probably make much more of a difference than the governor's race. I think three or four million dollars could give you a statewide play, actually, right? Uh, just yeah. looking at how much ad, yeah. And, and she yeah. desperately, desperately needs it if she wants to actually make up that ground. I, I mean, I continue to be baffled by this because I think there is a world where I, I understand club, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of, 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 Beto's coattails, like I get that, right? And if if you're doing well at the top of the ballot, there's a very good chance that that would translate down the ballot. But I mean, how can you not be thinking if you are a a Democratic donor about maybe the opportunity to pick someone off down ballot, particularly Ken Paxton with the liabilities he has? I mean, do y'all, either of y'all have any sense as to why people are staying away from her? Is why that money is not, not going there well i mean they haven't they haven't won a state race in yeah. <laughs> nearly 30 years you know and they, and and donors have been promised wins election after election after election so i think like it's difficult for donors to take uh any candidate outside of beto o'rourke seriously um just because i mean they for, quite frankly outside of mike collier probably they don't have the name recognition they don't really have the experience to be doing it so it you can imagine why for a donor it would be very difficult but you know i, I think on this podcast i talked about gromer jeffers writing for the Dallas news writing about this exact same thing uh, a couple of months ago uh, mm-hmm. of like she's she's the democrats best shot so why aren't donors funding her and asking the same question that we're asking now about like who, who is to blame and and that is a great question but I think even if you if if any of the listeners went to uh, the Texas Tribune Festival a couple of weeks ago, uh, they might have seen a hint of that frustration from Rochelle Garza uh, when she was on that uh, blue team panel with uh, uh, Mike Collier and Jay Clayberg, moderated by our politics editor Rebecca Allen. But she kind of went out out of her way to say like, "Hey, like I uh, not." exactly these words, but the idea was basically, I am the best shot we've got. Like, I'm a Latina, I'm a woman, I'd be the first um, Latina attorney general in the state. Like, we need the funding, we need the money, and it's not coming. 
and you can sort of you could sort of sense the frustration there um but i'm not sure that anybody's riding in on a white horse i know the democratic attorney generals are trying to help her out but i don't i don't i mean patrick are you, you seeing anything else i don't see anybody riding in on a white horse yeah um i don't see that either look in-state Democratic donors are going to in-state Democratic donor. What's more interesting to me is that uh, <laughs> like you, can't, you can't really expect more from them at this point. But um, it's the same old story. But what's interesting to me in the AG race is that national groups have not seen more value in it because there are so many national uh, connections to it. Um, Paxton is easily like the he's acting right now like easily the most pro MAGA statewide official that we have i mean you can make an argument that dan patrick's more pro trump but in terms of how paxton's behaving in this general election environment he's acting like the most pro trump um he's the only i think he's the only statewide official we've had that has done an event with trump in their general election he did a fundraiser you know at uh trump's club in, in new jersey several weeks ago and so that like for if you're a national donor a national group you know that that is enticing Obviously, when it comes to abortion rights, there are tremendous national implications if you flip the AG's office in Texas. Um, and there's just other, you know, when you look at other litigation that he's involved in, um, there's just a lot of reasons for national donors to care about this. Um, you know, look, I, I get that Texas is a really expensive state. I think sometimes donors think that, you know, they have to give commensurate with a statewide, you know, they have to give it commensurate with something that could fund a statewide TV buy. I, you know, I disagree with that. I think you can make a difference in these kinds of races if you're just looking at one, one of the markets versus, you know, doing a full statewide media buy. So for me, it's more, you know, again, the in-state democratic donors, um, you know, like <laughs> it's the same old story, you know, in terms of them sitting on their hands with some of these races. But I, I think it's more interesting to me that the national donors, uh, have not uh, stepped up for this particular race. Yeah, I mean, this is someone who is having a national impact on, you know, the Biden administration and politics with, with the success he has had in, you know, challenging Biden administration policies on healthcare, immigration, and, and many other issues. So, and of course, he filed a lawsuit to try to overturn the 2020 election, which, uh, made a lot of people nationally uh, not, not particularly importantly, happy. Importantly also, Matthew, this is someone that Republicans themselves or some Republicans are dis dissatisfied with. And you you don't have to look any further than the people who were running against him in the GOP primary, George P. Bush, Eva Guzman, uh, uh, Louis Gomer, all people who, you know, are... Uh, you know, ma major names in the, in the state party, like in their own right, um, you know, that you don't just get major challengers because you're doing a perfect job. You know, there's there's clearly some discontent among GOP voters with Paxton. Uh, but yeah, Dem Democrats don't seem to be capitalizing on that. Yeah. And, you know, it seems to be in, in some cases, those donors are making the choice that their money is more well spent investing in, you know, Senate races in, in Arizona or Georgia, where, you know, the, um, the makeup of the Senate could be at stake, um, as opposed to keeping that money at home. Um, one other thing I want to touch on before we wrap up here is the uh, situation in South Texas, which both of y'all have written about in different ways recently. And um, we saw um, some kind of turmoil uh, recently um, between the national Democrats and the, the state Democrats over their national party's support or lack thereof in the um, 15th congressional district, the race between Monica De La Cruz, um, the Republican, and Michelle Vallejo. Um, Patrick, tell us a little bit about what's happening there. 
So what, what's happening here is that this is this is one of three uh, congressional seats in South Texas that Republicans are, are working to flip. Um, I guess in the case of the 34th district, they're trying to hold on to it. Myra Flores is the Republicans running for re-election there. Um, and this is the race that is, uh, you know, closest on paper. If you look at the 2020 presidential margin, I think Trump would have carried it by two or three points under the redistricted version. Um, but it's also an open seat. Vicente Gonzalez, who's the current Democratic incumbent there, decided to run for re-election in the neighboring 34th district. So it's an open seat race. And national Democrats are also having to spend to defend Gonzalez in his new district, and then Henry Cuellar in the nearby 28th district. And so sometimes there's a lot of different uh, you know, factors that can go into these spending decisions, but sometimes you have to protect the incumbents first um, before focusing on open seats. That seems to be part of the, the calculus uh, here. Um, and then also we are seeing a Republican movement in South Texas. I mean, look no farther than the fact that the 34th district, which is a district that Joe Biden would have carried by 16 points, is currently rated as a toss-up by all the major prognosticators. And so it may very well be the case um, that the 15th district is no longer within reach for Democrats, um, you know, at least in the eyes of these national Democrats who are making decisions at the end here about where to allocate their TV dollars. James, how, on a scale of one to 10, how uh, alarmed should the Democrats be about what's happening in these three South Texas races right now? I I just think the Texas 15 is just like such a, you know, classic Texas Democrat conundrum to be in. You know, you pick this uh, candidate who is probably more progressive, more liberal than the district is, um, Mm -hmm. with some support from some of these national democratic organizations uh, backing them and giving them this full support. And then they pull out the rug from under you and you're kind of stuck with this candidate who, you know, perhaps isn't the best person to be running as a Democrat in that uh, in that seat. Um, and then the Texas Democrats are sort of left holding the bag and trying to figure out how you, how you win this race. So it was just a classic, just classic, classic Texas Democrats versus national Democrats conundrum. Um, but yeah, I mean, it looks like, you know, everyone's in a gunfight, uh, in these, in these districts, uh, it's certainly going to be interesting and look, I mean, when it's all said and done, um, after the election in November, somebody's going to have bragging rights. Um, and, uh, you can bet that they are going to be yelling about whichever side wins. They're going to be yelling about it till the cows come home, man, because they've really spent, both sides have really spent a lot of time and effort on those races. Um, and you know, if if they win, they deserve the bragging rights. You're going to get, uh, vertigo from the post-election spin on the South Texas races. (laughs) I've ever seen. So just get ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, all right, Patrick, one other thing you're watching that we haven't brought up yet. What am I watching? One, yeah, I'm, one, other, <laughs> one other thing that has your attention. What, what, what should we be watching that we haven't discussed yet? The Harris County judge race is fascinating. Um, I find it more interesting than honestly some statewide races. You have a Democratic rising star there, uh, Lena Hidalgo running for reelection. Um, against the Republican, uh, Alexandra Del Morio, uh, Morale Mueller. Um, I may be mis- mispronouncing the name, I apologize. Uh, but it's a race where you have very similar um, issue, a very similar issue set to what you have statewide, where the Democrats want to talk about abortion, the Democrats want to talk about uh, guns to an extent, um, and the Republicans, they want to talk about crime, inflation, Biden, 
Um, and Harris County, you know, today we consider Democratic, um, almost a Democratic stronghold, but it was a county that was a serious battleground county as recently as three or four election cycles ago. And so Republicans there are really trying to test how they can try to make Harris County a true battleground uh, again. And so, um, you know, we've seen some some signs of real Republican, uh, you know, progress there um, in this race, whether it's the amount of money that Mueller has raised, whether it's some internal polling that Republicans have released. Um, so, you know, it, to me, it's one of the more interesting races. Republicans across the state would love to take out Lena Hidalgo. Sure, exactly. There's the added, of course, there's the added benefit of taking out, knocking out someone early who could, who, you know, otherwise maybe could run for statewide office one day. Um, you know, and, you know, it's just, there's a lot of temptation there for Republicans to get this one right. Yeah. James, what about you? You got one thing that you're watching? I, I, I because I covered the Texas Senate, I, I'm watching that lieutenant governor race just because I think, you know, Mike Collier has like bet everything on basically saying like Beto O'Rourke is going to carry us with urban voters and then uh, and, and those voters are going to come down ballot. And then my job is to go out and reach out those rural voters, uh, black and Hispanic voters that uh, maybe don't know me. And so like it really is going to show like has his has his strategy worked or not. Um, so I, I think that one's interesting and it does have sort of parallels to 2018 where, you know, nobody was really paying a whole lot of attention down ballot, but you know, when, when that Beto sort of wave came, uh, will people go down and will other, like, you know, will independents and Republicans split, split tickets? I don't know. I just think that's interesting. It's, it's not that hot of a take, but <laughs> that's what I'm watching. Very good. Very good. I'm watching uh, Dan Patrick's Twitter feed as he goes on his bus tour and all the various like roadside stops and uh, things that he does in that race. I'm very much enjoying that. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, James. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thank you to our sponsors, SWBC, Lone Star College, Texas Biomed, and Texas Women's University. We'll talk to y'all next week. Join the Texas Tribune for our upcoming events happening in person and streaming virtually. November 17th and 18th in Lubbock and online, we'll explore the future of rural Texas with community leaders, local lawmakers, and others. Then on December 8th in Austin and online, we'll preview what's to come in the 2023 legislative session and what it'll mean for Texans. Learn more and RSVP at texastribune.org events.